Are you a good sleeper or do you find that you can only get to sleep yet find yourself waking a couple of hours later and you're unable to get back into a deep sleep? Or maybe you're juggling small children like myself and you're a little bit chronically sleep deprived. On today's episode of the Nutrition Couch, we share the science behind what you should eat to get a better night's sleep. Hi, I'm Leanne Ward. And I'm Shitty Burrell. And every week we bring you the Nutrition Couch, the bi-weekly podcast that keeps you up to date on everything that you need to know in the world of nutrition, as well as eating for a decent night's sleep. Today we share the latest research on what to eat to help improve your memory and cognition. And our listener question of the week is all about keeping your food on track throughout the weekend and holidays as well. But to kick us off, Susie, there was a very interesting article on memory loss and food this week in the Sydney Morning Herald. So essentially, it was really focused on flavonoids, which we know are found in things like apples, berry and tea. So what the study really found, and it was kind of one of the first of its kind to show that an insufficient intake of flavonols, um, which are the nutrients found in certain types of fruits and veggies and teas, can actually stop the brain from functioning at its best and potentially even drive some memory loss. So it was an interesting study. I will say that a lot more research is needed in this area, but what they did is they studied 3,500 healthy older adults. So this wasn't young people. This was definitely people as they age. They didn't say the age, they just said older adults basically, and they were healthy people as well. They didn't have diagnosed dementia or anything like that. And then they were randomly assigned to two groups. One received a placebo pill and the other one received a daily flavanol supplement. Um, and this was for three years. So it was a, it was a long study you know, we like to see, we don't want to see things over three weeks. We'd like to see it over a long period of time. So the active supplement contained 500 milligrams of flavonoids, which is the daily amount that adults are actually recommended to get from food. So this is actually a really easy dose of like a particular type of antioxidant that you could achieve quite naturally through food. All it is, is one or two cups of tea a day, about six squares of dark chocolate, which I'm sure a lot of people would have no problems having, or a couple of servings or berries or apples each day. So it's not actually difficult to achieve achieve that through your diet. And I dare say that most of us are already getting that. But as we get a bit, little bit older, our appetite decreases, we have some taste sensations going on. A lot of elderly people suffer from malnutrition. So perhaps a supplement is a good way for some people with a, more of an adequate diet to get it in. So at the end of the first year, the study you know, followed the participants and what they found was that their memory scores increased by an average of 10% compared to those who took the placebo pill. And at the end of the three years, it increased by an average of 16% in terms of their memory stores. So I guess supplementing with these flavanol supplements reversed the lower memory in the participants who had a lower quality diet after a year period and actually sustained that result and improved it over a three-year intervention. So what the study really did highlight was that it was only really effective in those who had a suboptimal intake of these particular types of nutrients or antioxidants. So if you had a really good quality diet, supplementing isn't really going to give you more benefit than that. And it's important to note that this was in elderly people as well. So I think if younger people are just supplementing with a daily flavanol supplement or an antioxidant supplement, you're probably not going to see much from like a memory or cognition perspective. So I think that the two key points in this study were A, it was because the diet was already inadequate. So supplementing actually really helped that. And B, it was in a healthy elderly population. I'm not sure if you had, you know, diagnosed dementia or Alzheimer's disease, whether or not that would actually do any benefit. This was definitely a study on healthy adults. So what an interesting study and I guess just the benefits of always having a good quality diet, right? 
Well, I think when you said, oh, it's pretty easy to get six squares of dark chocolate, I think that in my <laughs> experience, we cherry pick things like the dark chocolate and forget the rest. You know, I think, you know, I get my clients' food diaries and these are clients who are committed to eating well and dietary change. And I'm constantly saying, where's the salad? Where's the fresh fruit and vegetables? I, I don't think a lot of people do consistently, Leanne, get those bulk key nutrients we need. You know, I would be, I think a lot of people don't even have a piece of fruit each day, let alone, you know, a crunchy, beautiful apple. And certainly we know when it comes to the particularly high leafy green veggies, most people don't even get one serve, let alone the couple that they need. So I think, you know, even a little checklist like you described of some key foods each day, which routinely give that. So what I, I notice, you know, in, in our profession, and probably personal trainers are not dissimilar, you would see very few dietitians who don't routinely add salad and vegetable to every meal, who don't have high antioxidant fruits every day, who, you know, are looking for high antioxidant foods. We didn't mention the red wine because, of course, that is another source. I selectively so I, didn't mention that. <laughs> <laughs> on, on purpose. Um, again, because people would go for the red wine and the chocolate and not the rest. So I think that it's a good reminder to us that it's not the one-off supplements or the one-off green juice or the bone broth soup that we grab when we're sick that actually determines health. When it comes to neuroplasticity and the health of our brain and blood flow, and these are all the key variables so closely associated with cognitive aging and and brain health as we get older, these are foods you literally want to be including every day, and it's looking for ways to incorporate them into your baseline. So for me, it's things like keep the frozen berries because berries are like extortionate prices at the moment. So keep the frozen berries in the freezer that you can have every day with your oat breakfast bowl or your smoothie. Um, when they're in season, freeze them so that you've got some blueberries to add and, and have as snacks. It's having an apple a day keeps the doctor away. It's having the leafy greens every day. And ticking the box on some of those core foods because that's the key nutrients and super loading them, which is associated with this reduction in, in neurological decline as we age. And of course, the other big part of that is keeping our brain active and healthy and, and challenging it. But certainly from an inflammation perspective, it's that baseline diet, which is very powerful in determining the health of our brain and our cells. So yeah, it's it's ticking the box and, and creating a bit of a checklist of those superfoods that we certainly want to be eating on a daily basis and not just saying, well, I've had a glass of red wine and some dark chocolate and I'm sweet. If only it was that easy, right? But I will exactly. say there are a couple more <laughs> foods that we can add to our list along with apples and berries um, and cups of tea as well. It's, of course, the green leafy veggies like Susie mentioned, black currants as well, onions, cherries, peaches, soybeans, some of our citrus fruits, tea, coffee, lettuce, peppers or capsicums and grapes as well, plus minus a sneaky wine every now and then if you like. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's tricky when foods are in their seasonal fluctuations, you know, and grapes are really expensive at the moment. And we should also say it's the red grapes as opposed to the green that have that that component. But I'm also a big fan of the green tea. You know, that's known to be particularly high in antioxidants. You get some from black tea as well. But, you know, for want of a better word, we bastardize tea and coffee. You know, we have it with milk and sugar and we don't get those key nutritional benefits. So a simple swap 
like starting the day with a green tea or having one after lunch. It's a very powerful food habit to work on because for me, it's those food habits. The other one is having a small, and I'm lovingly and the baby apples that you can find in supermarkets now, which are actually marketed for kids, but they're really cost effective because they're smaller. So I bought a packet of the baby pears actually the other day. I think it was only $3. It's lasted us all week because they're tiny, but that's a great habit for an adult who drives home or has a commute to take one with you because that's the time that you're munchy, you want something in your mouth, you're probably going to go for the rice crackers or something like that if if you're not aware, you know, not mindful of it. And having an apple each day is a really smart addition to get that daily dose. So a couple of those key habits, as we've said, rather than just focusing on the dark chocolate after you finish dinner. All right, Leanne, well, moving on to another sort of superfood segment, we know online anything to do with improving the quality of sleep goes gangbusters. People are keen to know how they can sleep better and how their food may be disrupting it. And I think sometimes, again, it's the structural components of the diet that we don't actually consider and how that may be impacting. So for me, the one that comes to mind straight away is eating late at night. I have many clients who are eating after seven, if not eight, and it's often a heavier meal. Now, certainly you want at least two hours from when you finish your, which is usually the largest meal of the day, we'd like it not to be, but until you hit the sack. And so that's a very opportune time to do a little bit of walking after you've eaten to try and facilitate digestion because indigestion and reflux and discomfort, abdominal discomfort is one of the key reasons sleep can be disrupted, but also the stimulants, you know, tea, coffee, hot chocolate drinks, chocolate are all stimulants. So if you're someone who does sit down with a Tim Tam or some dark chocolate, you know, it's sort of what against what we've just said, you know, it's actually a stimulant. So if you're particularly sensitive to that, you certainly don't want to be having them before you go to bed. Now, there's a handful of foods that have sort of got some evidence around supporting sleep. So should you have your routine down pat where you're eating dinner, you know, at a good time, ideally before seven, so you've at least got a couple of hours, you might do a little bit of housework or go for a stroll around the block with your partner to help aid digestion. And if you were just having something to settle your stomach or you might be a night owl, So like to have a bit of a supper at eight or nine. A couple of things that will be better will be the milk. You know, milk does have some of the amino acids associated with supporting serotonin production, which is associated with better sleep and relaxation. A little bit of evidence for banana. I think you have to be a bit careful that, you you know, bananas can be quite large, but a small amount. Nuts are a great choice. You know, sitting down with a little bit of nuts is adding some protein, it's adding some good fats, but it is associated again with uh, with the amino acid tryptophan, so associated with better sleep. Definitely herbal tea. You know, you want to be keeping off all kinds of caffeine because it's going to make you go to the toilet, particularly a plain tea. So herbal tea is going to be better. Um, I think the other thing that we don't speak a lot about is the foods that contain natural sources of monosodium glutamate. So the glutamates are found in foods, your um, heavy tomato-based foods, your soy-based foods, so soy sauce, so generally any Asian cuisine, pizza, if you've been to a Mexican restaurant, even something with quite a lot of mushroom, will give you naturally occurring glutamates. And that can, in some people who are more sensitive, disrupt sleep. It can cause some, some dreams. Myself, it gives me very itchy skin So often if I've had soy-based meal, if I've had dumplings, which I do love, I do wake up with sort of itchy skin, which is really irritating and I can always track it back to that kind of high glutamate meal. Or if you've been out and you don't have control over the type of soy sauce, 
you know, certainly Asian cuisine, even picking up sushi, you're probably giving yourself a nice dose of MSG. And if you are sensitive, that can certainly disrupt it. So you really can't go past a good old piece of chicken or fish or lean meat and some plain veggies at night to try and facilitate sleep and keep that portion relatively small. And certainly if you're having snack food at night, things like flavoured chips, um, even some flavoured crackers, rice crackers, again, if you have a close look, they often contain flavour enhancers. And for some people who are sensitive, they can again disrupt sleep and kind of have a stimulatory effect. So food you don't often think, but it really is worth cleaning out your diet if you're noticing that you're more sensitive. Yeah, 100%. And like you mentioned, those MSG type foods, if you're reading food labels, look for the number 621. Um, And some of the side effects for more sensitive people include things like insomnia, also headaches, fatigue. If you're waking up just feeling like you haven't had a really good sleep and you're still feeling fatigued and also a little bit of muscle aching and muscle pain for some people as well. So it's often linked back to those saltier types of foods, highly flavored types of foods as well. And I will say as well, I've got a couple of clients, Susie, that their sleep is impacted by reflux. So large meals tends to play a portion there. Really heavy tomato-based meals, um, chocolate and peppermint can also aid acid reflux as well, or eating and then going and lying straight down on the couch. So ideally, you want to try and stay upright for about 30 to 60 minutes after your meal. It just aids in more effective digestion. So going for a little bit of a walk, um, you don't want to do anything too strenuous. Sometimes high-intensity exercise or activity can actually inhibit sleep as well or take you a little bit longer to get to sleep. So just gentle stretching or yoga or walking after a meal can be really good. But if you do suffer from acid reflux, really trying to stay upright after your meals is a really good strategy. But if you are waking up during the night and you're feeling that effects of reflux, it's well worth either chatting to your dietitian about some lifestyle and diet strategies, or potentially even chatting to your doctor about some medications that you can take to stop that acid reflux. Because Honestly, if you are suffering it from over time, it can actually be quite dangerous because it can change the cellular makeup of the cells within your esophagus as well, which long-term can actually lead to some really risky things like esophageal cancer. That's worst case scenario, but it isn't something that we just want to let go and go and go. If you suffer from reflux regularly, you definitely want to stay on top of that as well. And as Susie mentioned, the stimulants as well, the caffeine, the teas, the coffees, the energy drinks, um, and particularly the chocolate, if you are sensitive, can actually keep some people up at night. And if you have capacity, have your heavier meal in the day. Use the leftovers or use the rice and pasta heavier meals as a lunch meal and then go for the lighter, just a lean piece of of meat and some salad or a soup and just see the effect. Conduct your own experiment to see if that does affect. And certainly if you're someone who is rushing around all afternoon, you get home late, you shovel your food in quickly, you sit down, you flop on the couch, then you go straight to bed, I guarantee you that you'll feel much better if you eat more in the day and really focus on that last meal being a much lighter option if sleep is something that you know you need to work on. Definitely. All right, Susie. So for our final segment of the show, the listener question of the week is how do we keep our diet on track when there's always something on over the weekend? And you and I can definitely relate to that. And so I think I've got three top tips for our listeners today. My first one, and I say to my clients, is A, plan your weekend, and B, pick just one occasion you'd like to indulge in. If it's a kid's birthday party and your anniversary dinner, screw the kid's birthday party, eat before you go, don't touch the snacks, and enjoy the occasion that you're truly going to enjoy. If you've got a work event on a Friday night and you've got your big girlfriend's 40th birthday dinner on a Saturday night, I know which one I'd be picking. I'm not going to go gung-ho with the work event. I probably wouldn't even want to be there, yet I'd really like to enjoy myself at you know my best friend's 40th birthday or whatever that is. So we tend to want to indulge in every occasion when we're eating out or there's something on, but a lot of them we're just going because I feel like, you know, we should. It's like our 
I don't know, aunts, uncles, whatever, like something, someone we don't even really like, but we're kind of showing up because we feel like we have to. Those occasions, you're not, you know, don't overindulge in those things. Really pick the one occasion that really matters to you most per week. If it's a kid's birthday party, do you really need the brownies and the fairy bread and the fruit and all that sort of thing and the potato chips and the hot dogs? Do you need that stuff or would you rather go for a lovely meal with your hubby on Sunday night for whatever reason, celebration or just because you're heading out? So really, Really be careful of the occasions that are coming up and choose the ones that matter to you the most and the ones that you just feel like you have to go to, like take the kids to or it's the, you know, the neighbor's Friday night drinks that happen every single week. They're not the ones that we want to overindulge in because they happen so regularly and we don't really care too much about them. So pick the occasion. Secondly, Susie and I have said it a hundred times and we'll continue to say it eat before you go, particularly if it's a catered event and you know that there's lots of like canapes, deep fried spring rolls, that sort of thing where it's snacky type of food or there's tons of cheese platters and there's garlic breads and there's sausage rolls or it's the backyard barbecue and you know that there's just going to be snacks galore and it's going to be difficult for you to say no to eat before you go. The worst thing that you can do is go into these social situations hungry because guarantee you, you're only human. You're going to eat. I would, Susie would, we all would. So you want to kind of try to fill up your tummy with a little bit of something first, whether it's a nice vegetable soup, whether it's a bit of tuna salad, whether it's some fruit and yogurt before you go. Whatever it might be, try to avoid going into these big weekend social situations hungry. And the other thing you can do is actually take something healthy with you. So if you go into a big backyard barbecue, you can take along a big salad. You can take along, you know, some lean chicken breast or some fish to add in a bit of alfoil with some fresh herbs and pop onto the barbecue. If you know that there's only sausages available and you're not really a sausage fan or you're like, oh, you know, I've had a bit of an indulgent week so far. I'm not really into the sausages. I'm going to take some chicken breast or take a piece of salmon I can throw onto the barbecue instead. So So those sorts of things where you're thinking ahead about what might be on offer and actively taking something healthy that fits into your plan or fits into your goals can be a really, really easy strategy. What about you, Susie? What are your tips to keep your clients on track over the weekend? You stole all of mine. Um, (laughs) Great minds. I think this has been a conversation I have routinely each week with my mums on a Thursday because they find themselves in a frenzy. And so my couple of tips relate specifically to busy mums who are going to sporting events. And I found myself in this position more recently as well, juggling a few different sports with my kids. You can't go to soccer or rugby or rugby league and expect yourself to find something healthy. It's going to be the dodgy sausage sizzle. It's going to be the cake stall. It's going to be the bacon and egg roll. And once you start the weekend on the wrong foot nutritionally, it will just go downhill. So my first tip is make sure that you take something with you knowing that that's how your morning and even all day is going to go. It's going to be difficult. So whether it's making a wrap the night before, whether it is uh, grabbing some of, say, the tuna or salmon snack packs, which have got 20 grams of protein, whether it's taking your protein yogurt with you, you've got to take it with you. It's just not going to ever be healthy. And like I said, once you start on the wrong foot with, with too much processed carb and fat, it'll just go downhill because all day you'll be chasing your hunger. I think the second tip is... No snacking and mindless munching. So I'll see my clients and, yeah, they'll have the sausage sizzle and a coffee and then they'll have another coffee and then they're a bit hungry so they grab a cracker pack and it's just this graze all day. I'm like you. I don't mind indulgent meals. Go and have a beautiful Italian meal or pizza with the family. Go and enjoy it. But it's all those little extras which mean on a weekend you probably don't need to eat more than three times because one of the meals is probably heavier 
And unless it's a, a veggie top up before you're going out to dinner, you're probably having a later breakfast, a heavier lunch, and then a dinner out. So you won't need your four or five meals each day. And I think that leads to my third tip, which is keep track of your hunger. Often in social situations, visiting family, we go on autopilot with our food. You know, we go to our parents and we eat the cakes that they have there, or we go and eat the chips and snacks that we had as kids. You know, we're not really mindfully eating. So I just said to a client this morning, are you really hungry every two hours? (laughs) Because, you know, there's a lot of food going in. So really just keep checking in with your hunger. And again, I have no issue with people enjoying a decent meal or feed, but it's all those little extras that slip in, displace our hunger, and we never eat a proper meal. So tips, you know, that really are important because I find, you know, from Friday night until Monday, there can be a complete calorie overindulgence that completely undoes a whole week's hard work. And probably the last quick tip is you've got to exercise. There is no excuse to not exercise on both weekend days, whether it's a walk with a friend, a power walk in the morning or afternoon. It's The time is your own. It's got to be a priority. You've got to schedule it. And I had a client who went to watch her kid's um, basketball game. He's quite good. So he's, I don't know, in some sort of rep league or whatever. And he had two or three back-to-back games. And she said, oh my gosh, I can't go to the gym. I'm here for like three hours. And I said, why don't you just get some steps around the court? Like, why don't you, while you're watching him, just keep doing laps of the court. And the funniest thing was, it seems like the most simple thing. And she's like, I actually never thought of that. She's like, I just normally sit in the chair, chat to all the other mums and that's all I do. So she sent me a photo of her watch afterwards and she got 10,000 steps in just from doing laps of the basketball court and watching her son play. It wasn't like she wasn't there. She wasn't being present. She's like, I was actually more present because normally I'm on my phone or I'm chatting to the other mums and I'm kind of only half paying attention. She's like, I was doing laps and laps of the court. I got all my steps in and I was actively really paying attention to the game as well. So you don't just have to sit on the sidelines. You can actually use that time if you're spending hours at kids sporting events over the weekend to actually prioritize your own health and get some steps in as well. I asked a mum at rugby training if she wanted to walk around with me and she said no. <laughs> you gotta find your, you gotta find your people though, right? That she's clearly not your person. Oh, exactly. Because I'd done my steps. I thought, oh, you know, maybe she'll walk around with me and she was a hard no from her. So anyway, you've got to find no. your people. <laughs> I would have joined you, Suze. I would have. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the nutrition catch for another week. We would love if you could subscribe to the podcast, leave us a positive review, and also don't forget our brand new Perry book, which is selling like absolute hotcakes, is available on the nutritioncouch.com. It's worldwide. You can purchase it from anywhere in the world, it will be applicable if you're in your late 30s, 40s, 50s, even as you hit those menopause years as well. The majority of strategies are still applicable as well. So check it out on the nutritioncouch.com and we will catch everybody next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.